Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. Some councils are auditing schools and urging a ban on the terms boy and girl. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, your relationships are holy. A gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman. We don't want to just win the argument about sexuality. We want to use this as a gospel opportunity. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Who knew that Muhammad Ali slaps like a girl? This is Wretched Radio. You have heard commentary. Perhaps you have offered your own response to the big slap that happened at the Oscars. Plenty of conservatives, Christian and non-Christian alike, commenting on the slap heard around the world. A lot of people trying to psychoanalyze Will Smith. They're trying to assess the status of his marriage. They're asking questions about what the Oscars are going to do in response to what Will Smith did to Chris Rock. People are commenting that this is a demonstration of Hollywood privilege. Other people are actually suggesting he was just downright chivalrous. That was Piers Morgan's take. It also was Jesse Waters' observation that Will Smith kind of did the right thing when his wife, in his estimation, was rudely insulted by the host of the Oscars, Chris Rock. He decided to walk onto the stage and give him a big old slap. (laughs) And there are those who are saying it was the right thing to do, and that is precisely the question that I think that we Christians should be focusing on. I have nothing to add to the social commentary. I'm more interested in asking, what would I do? If I were Will Smith sitting at an award ceremony and my wife was insulted by the host, would I get up and slap him? It raises a reasonable question. What is the role of the man in protecting a woman? 1 Peter 3, 7, the Bible identifies her as the weaker vessel. We are the protectors. The picture that Peter is drawing in the Greek language is one who puts his arm around somebody, over their shoulder. It's a stance of protection. That's the role of the husband. So there you are, sir. You're sitting at the Oscars. Your wife gets offended. What do you do? I think the answer couldn't be more obvious. The Bible verse practically jumps off of the page When somebody insults you, you turn the other cheek. You don't slap their cheek. I know it ain't fun to hear your family members insulted. I got that, especially when they get upset. We can all relate to that, can't we? But is the right response to jump up and give somebody a good old slap on the face? And the answer is no. So then the question is, well, what is the role of the man in a situation like that. And I think we need to focus on a situation like that. Then you can focus on the other situations. We are to turn the other cheek when we're offended. When somebody says something bad about us or even our beloved spouse and children, we turn the other cheek. And that is precisely the context of the Oscars. He was offended. His wife was offended. We have to live with that. We take that. 
And we find comfort in recognizing vengeance belongs to the Lord. If somebody sins against you like that and you slap them in the mush, that ain't nothing compared to what God is going to do with them if their sins aren't forgiven in Jesus Christ. They, they will, they will, <laughs> let me tell you, every sin is going to be worse than a slap in the face in hell. So we rest in God will take care of it. We're going to just turn the other cheek. Could Will Smith and could you stand up and walk out? Yeah, I think so. Either on the spot or after the break or during the break, you could skedaddle. That would make a statement, wouldn't it? People certainly would comment on that. That would provide all of the Hollywood buzz that the Oscars appear to be desperate for. (laughs) This was the best thing that has happened to the Oscars. um, Well, from a publicity standpoint ever could have been accomplished by just walking out. We don't take these issues into our own hands. The context of the Oscars is the context of turning the other cheek that Jesus commands us to do because it was a mere insult. It's words. Now, this is not to suggest that sticks and stones break your bones, but names can never hurt you. It hurts. But we're called to act like Jesus who wasn't just slapped in the face, he was punched in the face repeatedly to the point of disfigurement, and he did not retaliate. We turn the metaphorical cheek, but that raises a question. What about a physical assault? That's a different category. That's a different realm. That's a different context. We can study that and I think come up with a different conclusion than than the offense of words and the response being turned the other cheek. We see that Jesus authorizes, in my opinion, self-defense. When he told the disciples going out two by two, by yourselves, get one, procure a short sword. It's a fighting sword. It's a sword of defense. Now, we have to run to the garden where we see a sword being wielded by Peter, cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant named Malchus. And Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. What's the difference between buy yourself a sword, but Peter don't use the sword? Peter was being an aggressor. Peter, Peter was going after the servant because he was going to be taken to trial. And Jesus said, nope, I am marching to the cross. This is precisely what I've been telling you about. I've set my face toward Jerusalem to die for sinners, uh, don't don't take these issues into your own hands. But if there's an issue of self-defense, you're being attacked or your wife and children are being attacked, absolutely we defend them and protect them. That is what we do, and I think that we have biblical license to do so. The question then remains chivalry. What is it? It looks weak to turn the other cheek. It looks like you're sissified because you don't stand up for your woman, even in today's culture, incidentally, which is still a bit of a modern day Christmas miracle, isn't it? That we even think that it would be right for a man to defend the woman. Well, it is right when it is a physical assault we defend. But what then is chivalry? I, I don't know what movie it is. I'm, 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 I'm recalling a movie from the old days, you know, from like the 1990s. 
or maybe the 1950s, a man says something offensive to another man's wife. He takes his white gloves and he slaps him on the cheek. Must have been a French movie. I think they're the only ones who wear white gloves. Or if you happen to be a dust inspector, that was considered chivalrous. But is that the Christian response? And I think the answer is no. So what does it look like to be chivalrous as a Christian? What does it look like to be masculine as a Christian? And I think that it's a way bigger challenge than the chivalry that I think most people have in mind. By the way, chivalry, it goes back not a thousand years, France again, the knights were to live under a code of conduct, but they were a little inconsistent with how they followed those rules. They were supposed to act like Christians because there was an infusion of Roman Catholicism into French chivalry, knighthood, same word, really, one who rides a horse. They would say that you're supposed to act like a Christian, but it's okay to slaughter those people. So not exactly consistent. Everybody recognized it, but we don't really see a code of conduct like we tend to think of today. So what is the man's conduct? How do we act chivalrous with our wives? We don't have to wait for them to be assaulted or insulted. Being chivalrous as a Christian, it is some of the old fashioned stuff that we see. It is recognizing first Peter three, seven, that that women are special yeah, they're physically weaker. Like that's, oh, how can you even say such a thing? Well, that's the way God made us. And that's just the reality. And it doesn't take a biologist to notice the difference between a man and a woman. At any rate, we're chivalrous when we still do some of those things that honors a woman and also says, I'm a protector here. I hold the door for my wife. I hold the chair for my wife. I stand up for my wife. I open the car door for my wife. And more than that, we act chivalrous at home. It appears that Will Smith's life, it's probably pretty rough with everything that is going on, all of the salacious details about an open marriage. Being chivalrous means leading your family, making sure that you do not find yourself in a similar situation, making sure that your wife feels protected and safe, making sure that she is provided for, making sure that the kids aren't at risk, and leading them to become the best role model of chivalry ever. And that is Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be chivalrous. That's what it means to be manly from a Christian perspective. Will Smith, I wouldn't expect him to pass that test. But we Christians, guided by the Bible, turn the other cheek, protect our families when there's physical danger, and lead them like men. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Question, do you also watch TV? All right, don't mock me. That's a legitimate question because some Christians don't and that's okay. But I did want you to remember that Wretched is also on TV. 135 Christian networks to be exact. Wretched TV is hosted, of course, by Todd Friel and is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters and conversations about tough theology stuff. 
You can find us on TV, our website, wretched.org slash TV, and also on Roku, Amazon Prime, Truly, and Amazon Fire TV. And it's only possible by the kindness and generosity of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? You can help us continue making Wretched available to everyone and also help us in our mission to reach the lost, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. Find out how you can become a Wretched Gospel Partner just by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Ukraine who could use your help right now. Max, the Tomorrow Club's leader in Ukraine, visited us on the telephone to share the need that many believers in eastern Ukraine currently have. Our focus was children evangelism. And right now, we have to walk away from that and really serve those families who had to escape. Our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West trying to meet the needs of those families. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. Pretty unlikely that you can visit Ukraine to help those brothers and sisters, but there are hands and feet on the ground, the Tomorrow Club leaders helping out brothers and sisters in need in Ukraine. To learn more about how you can help and support the Tomorrow Clubs, who we hope will quickly return to children evangelism, learn more at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. You've heard us talking about it for well over a year now. Get ready, because we are finally less than a month away from the debut of Transform. It's our latest TV offering, which will be like nothing else seen on Christian TV. With Transform, you will be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions tackling issues like anxiety, OCD, depression, phobias, and trauma. You're not going to see secular counseling sessions offering band-aids like medication or years of weekly visits, but you will see a biblical counselor providing biblical solutions that will help solve a person's issues with the Bible. Because biblical counseling is the only counseling that can provide real hope and help a person go from brokenness to wholeness. Hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford, Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University, and Dale Johnson, the Executive Director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Transformed, unlike anything that's ever been produced. And it's coming April 1st. Important dates in Christian history. 432 AD. After escaping years of slavery in Ireland as a young man, Patrick, a British Christian, returns to Ireland as a missionary. His work results in multitudes of Irish people coming to the Christian faith. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. How can we not bring you celebrity Christian news from a biblical perspective when everybody's talking about what's going on in Hollywood? This is Wretched Radio. Will Smith bringing some attention to the Oscars, but perhaps not in the way that would most interest us. I think there's something to be learned from Will Smith. How not to be chivalrous, frankly. Uh, how, how, how not to apologize. Instead, the focus, in my opinion, should be on what the uh, Hollywood industry is doing behind the scenes. And this is a reminder, dear pastor, if you do not think this will happen in your church, courtesy of CRT, I think that this should persuade you. This is really 
bad business we're dealing with. Critical race theory. Looking forward, by the way, to Jimmy, would you be so kind to look up the date for Together for the Gospel? Yeah. If you recall, we have a promise from Mark Dever and Ligon Duncan to shoot straight on the CRT business. They're going to let us know exactly where they stand. And I can't wait for that. That is going to be real. We should be hopeful in that. We should be praying for that. Because right now there isn't any clarity and that brings confusion and the result has been division. Hey, what a shocker. That's exactly what CRT does. It divides and then it conquers. It does it in Hollywood. It does it in universities, businesses, nations, and it'll certainly do it in the church. This was from L.A. Mag, L.A. Mag, which I doubt is a super conservative publication talking about the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences latest initiative to make Hollywood more equitable and diverse by changing the rules by which films are eligible for Best Picture nominations. Here's how it works. Starting in 2024, producers will be required to submit a summation of the race, gender, sexual orientation, and disability status of members of their movie's cast and crew. If a particular movie does not have enough people of color or disabled people or gays or lesbians working on the set, and what is enough will be determined who knows how, then that movie will no longer be eligible for an Oscar. Well, there you have it. That would be CRT in action. That would be quota filling, judging people based on the color of their skin or their sexual expression, their gender identity, not on whether or not they can actually do a good job making a movie. That's irrelevant. What's important is that we virtue signal. I mean, that we have a diverse look out on the cast of the of the filmmakers. That's CRT. I could be wrong, but I kind of thought that's what Martin Luther King Jr. was opposed to. Critics say it's invasive, anti-creative, opens the door to privacy issues, and is spectacular spectacularly unfair to actors and crew members who may want to keep their sexual orientation or health profiles to themselves. Not to mention to producers and directors who have enough to worry about while shooting a movie than to be saddled with the thankless task of tallying up the identity markers of their creative partners. Jimmy, when's the Together for the Gospel business going down? April 19th through 21st. Ooh. It's close. We're getting really close. (laughs) And we should be hopeful for that day. Last year, the Oscars drew an all-time low of 9.85 million viewers. At its height in the 90s, there were 55 million viewers. I don't know. More people watched the YouTube video of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Yeah, uh, something I saw that was true um, was that if it wasn't for the slap, I wouldn't even know the Oscars happened. No, you wouldn't. Right. It's just changed. A lot has changed. I mean, the, the the diversity of entertainment options has watered it down. But it's things like this that also shoot it in the foot. Just make movies. Why do corporations feel this need to make political and social commentaries? Where did where did this new 
moral warrioring come from? Disney doing it with the governor of Florida, who, by the way, just signed that legislation in place because he doesn't want K through third graders learning about LGBTQ business. By the way, I don't know if you've seen some of the scuttlebutt on that, but there's one teacher who's like, hey, hey, this won't allow me then to talk about my romantic relationships. Yeah, that that's right, sir. That's that's precisely the point. And there's a need to do that with a four-year-old. Why? So Governor DeSantis standing up, Disney, they're letting everybody know how terrible they think that it is because they're located in Florida, of course. And they have taken on the virtue signaling mantra or mantle rather to try to, well, basically redefine what this nation actually is. That is what the Oscars are about. That is what critical race theory is about. And I'm telling you, that is what it will be about if it enters your church in any way, shape or form. Got the article right here. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signs bill banning LGBT instruction in elementary school. (laughs) The bill also requires school districts to adopt procedures to notify parents about changes affecting their child's mental, physical and emotional health. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Do you recall it was the uh, uh, not Discovery Institute uh, found it began with an F, I think. Uh, Jimmy, do you happen to recall? When we've shared the woman who was sharing her testimony at a symposium about how the school didn't let her know that her daughter was confused about her gender, came up with a transition plan and were down the road with it before mom even discovered it when she did. The Heritage uh, Foundation. She, Heritage Foundation. That's that's it. You could probably find it on the YouTube machine. This is in response to stories like that. Uh, Sorry, school, you don't get to keep this information from parents. Said it before, I'm happy to say it again. There are a lot of good Christian parents or good Christian teachers out there. There's some good Christian parents too, but there's some good Christian teachers out there. But the system, I think the same question would apply to the government education and to public businesses. Who who exactly do you think you are? You make widgets. You let people spin around in a big teacup. You, you let them spend thousands of dollars on food, on a stick. That, that's what you do. Do that. Just do that. And educators, please teach the kids to read, write, and do arithmetic. Maybe you could even have them learn geography. We'll be generous in this. History, I'm not so sure that's a wise idea because of the textbooks. That might be something that parents have to take upon themselves, unless, of course, we can monitor the textbooks to make sure that they're at least remotely historically accurate. Did I mention I went to the Tennessee Museum? Whoa, what a biased presentation of history. And that's Tennessee, y'all. That Tennessee is a red state. And yet, the indoctrination at a public museum was really aggressive. That's what's going on in schools, too. The details from Ron DeSantis, the interim executive director of the ACLU of Florida, claimed in a statement that the law is unconstitutional, okay, because it silences discussions about teachers and students, LGBT family members and friends. 
Yes, 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 it does. Because we don't want children having to understand those things at that age. Frankly, I don't want children to ever have to understand those things, but that's the world that we are currently living in. As long as we're talking celebrity news, I got a couple of other stories for you. Todd, this is thrilling. (laughs) Okay, apparently she's famous. If you read books, Mackenzie Scott, philanthropist and novelist, has given the largest gift to Planned Parenthood ever, $275 million. Woo-wee doggy. $275 million to an organization that takes the life of children. By the way, it's not just Maryland that is having to deal with perinatal. You, 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 you hear a word and you go perinatal. Well, it sounds scientific. It sounds medical and stuff, so it must be okay. Here's the problem. Instead of prenatal, they're, t- they're using the word perinatal. I'm pretty certain peri is the Latin word around. And so it's around the natal. It's around the birth. And that means prenatal. And it also means outside of the womb. Now they're saying that should be about two months. And that means the door could be opened up to babies who are actually born um, being aborted outside of the womb because of the word perinatal is slipping itself into this legislation. It's happening in Maryland. It is being introduced in California, and most likely, it's coming to your hometown, too. We hope you've enjoyed (laughs) Celebrity News. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hanks. While what's being touted as groundbreaking legislation recently passed in Mississippi, where the state legislature set aside $3.5 million in tax credits for those who donate to pregnancy resource centers. The Pregnancy Resource Act allows the state to give back 50% of a Mississippian's charitable contribution to PRCs that help women in crisis pregnancy situations without supporting abortion. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey was pretty busy yesterday signing into law all types of new things, such as a 15-week abortion ban, legislation that protects girls' sports, a bill banning gender assignment surgeries for minors, and a bill requiring proof of citizenship on voter registration forms. While some states have similar laws already and bills on the table, Ducey fast-tracked Arizona, and he handled them all in one day. And here's a story that seems minor at first, but as you think about future implications of allowing behavior like this, it'll start to concern you. A fourth-year medical student at Wake Forest recently tweeted that she stuck a patient twice when drawing blood because he seemed to mock her pronoun pen. She seemed to be quite proud of her actions initially, but now she has deleted not just her tweet, but her entire Twitter account. And that leaves me to wonder if she is facing or will face any discipline for, I don't know, purposely injuring a patient, publicly mocking them. And if she doesn't face discipline, what implications would this hold in the future? Think about it. 
A middle school teacher in Oregon was recently escorted out of school by police and placed on leave by the school for sending nude photos to a student. That same teacher recently bragged on video that his proudest achievement as an educator is teaching students how to use personal pronouns. And these actions are exactly what the Parental Rights and Education Bill in Florida is seeking to prevent. And for the life of me, I just can't understand why so many people are against it. And speaking of that Florida bill, I know you're tired of hearing about them because I'm quite frankly tired of talking about them, but Disney in the headlines again. In a recently leaked video, a group of Disney filmmakers and employees are heard clearly saying that they have been given the freedom to add queerness. I hate that word. And LGBT characters to children's programming. I guess if Florida's not going to allow teachers to indoctrinate and groom young children, Disney, they're going to take matters into their own hands. Well, if you remember, we previously told you about a former member of parliament in Finland being charged with hate speech for posting to social media a Bible verse. She also has a history of speaking out against euthanasia and baby murder and same-sex marriage. And a court now has ruled that she is not guilty of hate speech for quoting a Bible verse. Prosecutors, though, are planning an appeal, I guess because for them, speech is only free when it aligns with what they actually want you to believe, which doesn't seem very free to me. But regardless, currently, this is a major win for free speech in Finland. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Mexican Faith is not a force we harness or a feeling we get. True biblical faith consists of three things. Knowledge of the truth, agreement with the truth, and a trust in the true God. There is no power in faith itself. The power is in the one we put our faith in. Are you trusting in Christ or in something that cannot deliver? This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Will Smith ain't the only one laying hands on people. You be the judge. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Order in the court. This is Wretched Radio. Let me take you to Corpus Christi, Texas. The year is 2004. A convenience store clerk stabbed to death at the age of 46, leaving behind nine children and 14 grandchildren. Incidentally, he wasn't just stabbed to death. He was repeatedly, like 30 times, violently stabbed to death. Fast forward to our year. It is now 18 years later, and even though the court system in Texas said that fellow needs to have Genesis 9 applied to him, okay, they didn't cite Genesis 9, but we Christians can and we should. We can also cite Romans 13. This is pre-Mosaic covenant. Right after the flood, God establishes the death penalty for people who take a life. Life is so precious. Image bearers of God are so valued by him that if an individual who is one of those image bearers takes the life of another image bearer, their life should be taken. That is not inconsistent with our pro-life position. What's the difference? Innocent and guilt. Innocence of the child, therefore abortion. It is the intentional taking of an innocent human life, a.k.a. murder. Taking somebody's life when they're guilty that's killing, and that's authorized by the Bible in Genesis chapter 9, and I think it's reiterated in Romans 13. Would I start a new denomination that focuses on making sure that we have the death penalty? No. 
but it is something that the Bible says is actually appropriate, right, and good. It has taken 18 years for the court to finally get about the business of executing the fellow who brutally murdered a man who was a father and a grandfather. 18 years. The fellow keeps trying different tricks, the latest of which, which made it all the way to the Supreme Court, is the subject of, get ready for this, laying on of hands. That's right. This fellow met somebody who was doing prison ministry in the jail where he was, and he wants this pastor to be in the chamber when his life is finally taken from him, praying out loud and laying hands on him. This made its way to the Supreme Court. Wow. And whilst I'm really, really glad on the one hand that they sided with religious liberty, on the other hand, Clarence Thomas, the lone dissenting voice in an eight to one ruling said, uh, this is just chicanery. This is just a trick. This guy isn't sincere. And it compromises the state's interest in making sure that nothing goes haywire at an execution. You, you can be the judge as to whether or not this should be allowed, but I do believe this causes us to explore an issue that we we frankly tend to spend zero time on, even though it appears in the Bible dozens of times, and that is the subject of laying on of hands. This, I think it was Kagan who said that laying on of hands, it's a, it's a, it's a religious tradition, therefore we need to allow it. Okay, it is a religious tradition, but is it a salvific practice? Does this fellow need to have a Baptist pastor praying out loud with his hand on his forearm while he's being injected with chemicals that are going to snuff out his life or he won't go to heaven? That's kind of what Kagan thought. See that We shouldn't do anything that would bar a man from being made right with his maker. So therefore, they said he can be in the chamber and he can do it despite the interests of the state regarding protocol and safety. You be the judge on that, but let's judge what laying on of hands actually is. What happens in that process? Well, we got to take a look at the Bible and all of the verses that discuss it and maybe just maybe have a better understanding of this practice. We certainly would reject Kagan's understanding that somehow this is going to help you get to heaven. This is not a means of salvation. But it is a biblical practice, and we see it in both the Old and the New Testaments. Actually, quite a bit. You'll recall in the Old Testament, for instance, Deuteronomy 34, 9. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. What happened? Did somehow Moses transfer power over to another person? No, there's nothing mystical about it. There's nothing efficacious in empowering a person, but it's a physical sign that says, I am authorizing you. You are now set aside for this work. And we see that, by the way, carried forward into the New Testament. You'll see laying on of hands in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect your gift, Timothy, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. We see the same symbolic gesture taking place in the New Testament as happened regularly in the Old. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, don't forget in Leviticus, you got the scapegoat, you got the scape bulls where the priest would lay hands on the animal 
a symbolic transferring of sins from the people to the animal for sacrifice and a covering, not forgiveness, a covering of sins. It is a symbolic gesture. Nothing mystical takes place. Nothing eternal happens. But it is a way for God's people to see this fellow, this person, this group who are having hands laid on them are being set aside. It doesn't do anything to them, but it speaks a word to the people who are observing it. You'll see it also in 1 Timothy 4.14, 1 Timothy 5.22. You'll see it in Hebrews 6.2. Instruction. Oh, this is an interesting verse. The basic things. Now, what are the basic things? It includes in the list instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the writer of Hebrews, we know who that is. It's Bob. Bob is writing about some of the Old Testament things that we see. You need to understand what laying on of hands is. I think he had in view the sacrificial system of Leviticus of laying hands on the scapegoat symbolically. Um, Jesus actually did have hands laid on him. Another definition of laying on of hands. And, and, and we don't need an animal anymore. Even so, what we do see in the New Testament, Timothy having hands laid on him, Acts 19, 6. When Paul placed hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, this would be a verse that people would use to say, see, this this is normative. This is a great example of looking at the details of an historical event, which is speaking in tongues, laying on of hands. The giving of the Holy Spirit is what is in view in Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, and 19, pretty certain. And we don't see the same details in each one. We don't see the laying on of hands and then the Holy Spirit falling. Sometimes we see it afterwards. Sometimes we don't see it at all. In other words, it's not a prescription. It's just a description of God giving the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, to people outside of Israel. We also see Jesus laying hands on people sometimes when he healed them. We need to identify all of the instances of Jesus doing that because not every healing included the laying on of hands. Why is this important? Because there's, there's, there's nothing in the gesture itself that is powerful or mystical or empowering or healing or anointing. It is a symbolic, tangible, visual gesture that says something special is happening here. There is a work that is being prepared by, a, by laying hands on this person to say, um, this guy is set aside now for this work. Throughout the Bible, we find positive and negative senses of the laying on of hands, as well as general, everyday, special ceremonial instances of laying on of hands. This is an article from David Mathis. In the Old Testament, the general use is most often negative to lay hands on someone. You know, like, I'm going to lay my hands on that guy. And he's, it's found in Genesis, Exodus, Nehemiah, Esther, Leviticus. But we also see a laying on of hands in a symbolic gesture. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. The question is, should we be doing it? We see something interesting, by the way, in the book of James. If you're sick, call the elders, laying on of hands in prayer and anointing for healing. Remember, if we do that and we want to follow that pattern, that is just fine. But let's remember, laying on of hands doesn't do something special. 
Having said that, should we be laying hands on one another? Well, in the, in the right sense of the word laying hands on one another, I think yes. I, I, I think that there's something that is helpful, not just for the observers, but also for the person. It, it kind of gets your attention. You know, when you somebody touches you, it's like, oh, OK, I'm focused here. What's going on? Well, same thing is true with laying on of hands. This symbolic gesture, sometimes it gets used in churches when they're perhaps ordaining a minister. I think that's appropriate, perhaps when they are even talking about the Sunday school teachers for this year, laying on of hands, totally appropriate. Sending a missionary, laying on of hands, totally appropriate. We can use this symbolic gesture, but we need to remember, despite theologian Kagan's understanding, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't save anybody. It doesn't transfer power to anybody. There's nothing mystical about it. But laying on of hands is indeed something that the church should do. Not in a Will Smith kind of laying on of hands way, but in a symbolic way. This is Wretched Radio. Let's visit a preborn life center in action. Look at that baby. Abortion pill reversal actually works. That's a beating heart. Ooh, look how small it is. Tell me, that doesn't encourage you to consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. $28 purchases a free ultrasound for a mommy who will choose life. It is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. How would you like to be considered the second smartest person on the planet behind this guy? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But what I'm trying to say is becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner is one of the wisest decisions you'll ever make. Gospel Partners Media is a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning all financial gifts are tax deductible. But other than that, why should you consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Simple, because it's your gifts that help us create compelling gospel-centered content that reach millions of people all over the world. And we're members in good standing with the ECFA, the financial accountability folks who audit our books yearly to keep us transparent and accountable to our gospel partners. And 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. So would you prayerfully consider partnering with us at Gospel Partners Media? Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get complete details. We think it's one of the wisest investments you can make. Wretched.org slash donate. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared 
among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable, biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Bread of Life, Just as God gave life to His people in the desert by providing manna, so Jesus gives life to His people through His body broken on the cross, which we remember in the breaking of the bread in communion. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. Walking a fine line. Let's see if we can find our balance. church news, shall we, without violating our principles of discernment. That's right. There's actually some rules to the game of discernment, which means if there's a bunch of rules associated with making judgments on news stories, whether they're secular or sacred, we maybe should take some time to, I don't know, think things through. But that's not the way the social media game works. You see something, you better get the video up. And man, if you're the first one to nail it, you get lots of views. We have to slow our roll. We want to be Christian discerners, which means we want to be a little more judicious. We want to be a little bit more thoughtful. We want to consider Bible verses that a lot of people don't even think about. Not the least of which is the reminder that a name is precious. A reputation, said Solomon, is a highly sought thing. And we should be very careful how we go about talking about anyone, including people that you maybe are not nuts about. The rules of discernment, there are variances. There's little exceptions here and there. But the, but the rule is I want to follow the principle of the Proverbs to protect somebody's name, no matter who it is, because God says a name is important. There's usually going to be a family behind that person, friends a life, etc. So I want to consider that, and I want to consider Proverbs 18, 17. Unless I hear both sides of the story, I can't render a verdict on this. How can I? That is not judicious at all. That's foolishness. You've got to hear both sides of the story. And so often these days, when it comes to the news, you just get the accusation, the court case is happening, this is what somebody said about somebody, and we need to stop and go, hold it. I can't jump in with both feet. I need more information. I need to think this through a little bit. Even if you think that the entire movement is a total stinker, we still need to practice the rules of discernment. Case in point, and you're going to think that I'm busting this rule right away. I'm not because one of the rules of discernment 
is that if a story is public, you can talk about it publicly if you have something to contribute. I think that that is a principle that applies in every case of judging. That if somebody, if it's a story that is widely disseminated, okay, I can say something if. I can actually say something helpful. So if we can't do both of those things, if, they, if, it, if it doesn't check both of those boxes, then, then you don't say anything. This is a story that is now widely disseminated, but we're going to walk a line in talking about some of it, but not all of it. I'm talking, most likely you've guessed already, about Hillsong. It appears that that massive global movement is in serious big trouble. And I think that we can recognize that because, wow, there's a lot of stuff happening that we can comment on. What we can't comment on are accusations of people. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. Don't know if you're aware of this, but the Discovery Channel, they are putting out a three-episode series on Hillsong Church, where they are going to have an explosive expose, and basically what they've put together are people who have got grievances against Hillsong. This is the Discovery Plus three-episode dis- docu-series. Wait, who created that? A docu-series? It's There's, more than one episode, so a it's a one. series. Contends how the Australian-based Global Evangelical Church Network has towed the fine line between cult and culture. With more than 150,000 global members, Hillsong has recently been entangled in scandal. Wow. This church is huge. Do you remember, incidentally, this goes back years, uh, season four of Way of the Master, when we did a European tour? And I got to go to all the reformer sites, and it was, wow, was it ever. The reformers would put up with Hillsong for about a second. But I was in London, and there was, there was a, I don't know if I just like tried to witness to the fellow. It was, a, it was a young man and a young woman. I think they were co-pastoring at Hillsong, because that seems to be the tradition there. And the guy couldn't articulate the gospel. Not even close, not even remotely. We just want, man, we just want people to be happy. We just want, you know, people to live their, their best lives and just be, you know, maximize their potential. Did it with a British accent, but didn't know the gospel at all. That is, uh, that's the issue we're going to be focusing on. With more than 150,000 global members, it's recently been entangled in scandal. Hillsong, a megachurch, exposed will profile numerous ex-members of the church who have come forward to share harrowing allegations of the trauma, abuse, and financial and labor exploitation that created a culture of chaos within the church. Okay. What do I do with all of this? How do I even discuss it? God doesn't like talebearers. So I want to keep that in view as I discern. Am I sharing gossip? Am I participating in gossip? Am I watching gossip? What makes something gossip at all? What do we do with an accusation? You take it very seriously, especially if it's your local church. You take it very seriously. But I don't render a verdict on these issues until I get to hear both sides, even when it's Hillsong. Having said that, there are things that we can talk about, too, specifically. Number one. We can recognize um, this house of cards is falling down. Headline, this is public. Brian Houston resigns from Hillsong. That's major. 
former Hillsong Dallas pastor, resigned after he was accused of rape. Now, I can't comment on the rape. I don't know that story. I don't know the details on that. That's going to have to be adjudicated elsewhere. But I can comment on, wow, this the, another one bites the dust. He's resi- I can talk about the resignation, the accusation. I just have to wait and see. And so we're seeing in Hillsong a lot of people that are quitting. The fellow who pastors the Atlanta church. Here's our next headline. Hillsong Atlanta pastor resides, resigns amid Brian Houston scandal. I can talk about that. I can talk about Carl Lentz rightly. I don't want to get into the salacious details. I don't need to know anything that he hasn't admitted or hasn't been disclosed or hasn't been somehow tried. But I can look at it and go, this movement is is having some seriously big problems, seriously big issues. And I can talk about that. But I think the second issue that is probably more urgent for us, and that is talking about the theology. Hillsong is a great big dog's breakfast. It is a system that is not secured and founded on the preaching of the word of God. It's emotive. It's manipulative. Their music, it is, the, it, it, is the, it is what drives their entire movement. It's the Hillsong music that drives this thing. And some of the songs, yeah, I grant you, they're not horrible, but um, some of them aren't so good. And furthermore, it is what is used to lure people into the Hillsong movement. When, they go to, when the kids go to the Hillsong concert, do you think there's no preaching or teaching there? Of course there is. And that's what kids get. They get lured into the movement, and then they find themselves following men and their female wives who are pastoring churches. Not sure that you can actually use that verb in the context of the feminine gender, but... They end up following them, and this movement continues to grow. Hillsong has 150,000 members globally, and they're planting churches, or they were planting churches. A lot of them are shutting down. By the way, don't worry if you're in Atlanta and you're going to be missing the Hillsong Church. The fellow is opening up on Easter. So he, he said, we're done with Hillsong. We're, we, we don't think what they're doing is right. So we're just going to stop Hillsong Church. But we're going to reopen in the exact same location with the exact same worship band and the exact same pastor and the exact same people rebranded on Easter. Jimmy, would you like to know what they rebranded Hillsong to be, the name of the church? I, I, I don't think I want to know. What, what Story Church. Oh, no. Mm. What's your story? Everybody has a story. What's your story? We want to know your story. And we want to talk about the greatest story ever told. We're Story Church. I was thinking, we were playing around with names. You've got the you know, um, Influencers Church, all of these man-centered names for churches. We came, up, we came up with, because it's all focused on like how to help you be maximizing your potential, GOAT Church, G-O-A-T, the greatest of, greatest of all time church. And it works on a couple of levels, doesn't it? <laughs> Hillsong is in big trouble. Let's be mindful of what we can discern and what we can't, because what we can't are rumors or accusations yet, but we definitely can discern this is a movement that is bad theologically. Until tomorrow, 
go serve your king.